So our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus. In this passage, he is speaking to God's chosen people. The first reading comes from Isaiah 1, verse 10 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meanless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbath and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Our second reading is part of a letter written by Paul, a leader in the early church, giving instructions to the church in Colossae. So Colossians two sixteen to 23. Therefore do not anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you dined with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and the harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Dan, and thank you, Emma. Some big words in that Isaiah reading. Well done for getting through them. Um, well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I remember holding my little boy, Rory, for the, for the first time a couple of, couple of years ago, and um, at, at that moment, the, the gravity of fatherhood really hit me for the first time, realising that this, this tiny, helpless little baby, that, that, that I'm the one that has to, to protect him, to provide for him, uh, to set him an example, to shape his character. I remember just um, sitting there with him and just kind of a bit of a surreal moment holding this tiny naked little baby and just, just saying to him, look, buddy, I've got no idea what I'm doing here, but I promise I'm going to do the best job I can of it. Um, but how do I do that? How does any father go about forming their child's character? It's such a, it's such a big task to have, and rules and, and discipline certainly play their part, but even the most wise and clearly communicated rules on their own aren't going to bring the positive change that we want. Um, they might make our kids well-behaved on the outside, but they're not going to change their hearts on the inside. Uh, and so the Apostle Paul, who's writing to the Colossian church, he knows similarly that rules and religion aren't what they need the most. Uh, that's not going to bring the change that's needed for them. Uh, the focus of his letter has been to show them that Jesus is all they need. Um, showing them the richness and the fullness 
that they have in Jesus. And so Paul, he doesn't want the Colossians to be weighed down by religious rules and religious expectations that deny the sufficiency of Jesus for them. He wants them to keep faith in Jesus, not in rules and religion. Uh, In the passage that we've just had read for us, he, he basically says three things to the Colossians. He says, firstly, don't let religious people judge you. Secondly, don't let spiritual people disqualify you. And thirdly, don't let worldly people enslave you. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, So firstly, Paul tells us, don't let religious people judge you. Why? Well, because Christ is the true reality. Uh, So verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, under Old Testament Jewish laws, God's people were, were meant to avoid certain foods, and they, they were also instructed to observe occasions like, like Sabbath days and, and particular festivals. We see that in a, a verse like um, in 2 Chronicles 8, for example. Uh, now, perhaps in the, the Colossian church, there were Jewish people around the place who were, who were saying, look, you have to keep following these rules to be a true Christian. Uh, in, our, in our Isaiah reading, we, we saw that obedience to these rules and these festivals isn't what God ultimately desires. Uh, we read that if, if our hearts are far from him, then observing these festivals and these Sabbaths just to tick a box, then God tells us it's, it's meaningless It's detestable. It's worthless. These rules and these traditions, they're not what really matters. And we see that. Paul says that to us in in verse 17. He says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Um, I've got a shadow. You you all probably do as well. Um, my, My shadow only exists because my body exists, right? It has zero significance apart from my body. And that's what Paul is saying about these particular Old Testament laws. Their their significance is that they point to Jesus. Um, So the food laws point us to to a kind of purity that only Jesus can bring. The Sabbath day points us to a time of unending rest that only Jesus can bring. And so to, to hold on to these laws... When we have Jesus now, it's kind of like holding on to a, a save-the-date card years after the event has taken place. Uh, now, we do need to be careful here because um, there, are, there are parts of the Old Testament law, which Paul's talking about here, which are no longer binding. And, and the reason they're no longer binding is because Jesus has fulfilled uh, what they were representing. They've, so these laws have served their purpose. But then there are other laws that, that are still binding for us, this side of Jesus. Um, Because they teach us something that is eternally true about who God is and and how we ought to relate to God. Uh, Which which sounds a bit tricky, but but the way for us to to be able to make that judgment is to read the whole Bible and to see what Jesus and what the New Testament writers say about these particular laws. Um, So, for example, we read in in Mark's Gospel that, that Jesus declares that the Old Testament food laws no longer apply. He, de- he declares that all foods are clean. 
Um, but at the same time, he reinforces the Old Testament command to love your neighbor as yourself. So that, that's a law that still stands. Um, so basically, what, what Paul is telling us here is don't be bound to laws and traditions that Jesus has fulfilled. Don't let religious people wrongly judge you about these things. Uh, now, food laws and, and festivals and things like that, they, they might not, they, they were issues for the Colossian church. They might not be necessarily for us as much. Um, perhaps a more relevant issue for the church today is something like uh, the role of church leaders, for example. Um, so in the Old Testament, you had priests who are under the Old Testament law, and it was their job basically to, to stand between God and people and, and to make the sacrifices that were needed for people's sins. Now, again, this, this was real, a really important role at the time, but it, only because it was a shadow that was pointing us to what Jesus was going to do. Jesus is now the one who stands between us and God. Jesus is the one who has made that sacrifice. And so the really important role that priests had in the Old Testament has actually been fulfilled and replaced by Jesus. And what that means for us is that um, someone in Stephen's role today as a senior pastor or, or my role as well, we, we have a, an important job to teach God's word, but, but we don't bring anyone to God. You don't, you don't need us to come to God. It's only Jesus who does that. Uh, maybe a more subtle danger for us is having a mindset of, of still being under the law. And what I mean by that is, is focusing on our, our sin and our unworthiness and, and what we have to do to, to, for God to be happy uh, without balancing that out with the wonderful truth that, that Jesus died for our sin, that he died to make us right with God. Um, so this, this is something that can happen for an individual, it can happen for a church as a whole. Um, if our sin is a more pressing reality than God's grace, then in a way, we're still living in the shadows. We need to broaden our gaze and truly behold the, the reality that Jesus is. Uh, so don't let religious people judge you, Paul says, because Jesus is the true reality. Uh, and secondly, he tells us, don't let spiritual people disqualify you. Why? Well, because Jesus is the head. Uh, so verse 18, Paul tells us, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Now, the exact details of what Paul is saying here aren't, aren't completely clear. Um, we don't know what it is that these people have seen. Perhaps it was visions of some sort. Uh, when it talks about worship of angels, that might mean that they were literally worshipping angels or, or more likely that they were, they were worshipping in an angel-like way, which I imagine looks pretty impressive. Uh, the basic idea, though, is clear here, which, which is that Paul is talking about the person who takes pride in their own worship. Um, so both their worship performance and their worship experience. Uh, Paul is saying, don't let this person disqualify you. Don't 
let them make you feel spiritually inadequate. Uh, why? Well, because they're puffed up by their own unspiritual mind. Now think about it, for someone who thinks that they're, they're a super spiritual person, that's a, that's a pretty harsh critique, isn't it? Um, Paul is saying they're not spiritual at all. And the reason for that is that they've lost connection with the head of the body. Uh, the problem that they have is that their worship is all about them, their performance, their experience. But true worship, it's not about me. It's about the head of the body. It's about Jesus. It's about who I'm worshipping. Jesus is the one who has qualified us to be members of his body. We, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. No one else can disqualify us. Uh, now, different people and different churches have different ways of, of going about worship, which is, which is totally fine. The issue is when I feel superior or inferior to someone because of the way I worship and because of the way that they worship. Uh, it's not the, the outward appearance or the, the internal experience of my worship that, that matters so much as who it is that I'm worshipping and, and whether I'm being sincere in that. So if worship is about me, then it's unspiritual. And this is why spiritual gifts like um, speaking in tongues, for instance, they, they may have great value in the life of the church, but they can never be taken as a sign that, that someone is or isn't saved because we're saved through faith in Jesus alone. Now, I remember a, a previous church I was at, there was someone who left the church and, and she left because she didn't engage with the way that, that we ran our gatherings. She wanted, she wanted something a bit more charismatic, a bit more uplifting, which, you know, that's, that's fine. Different, different people have different tastes. Um, but it was the way that she spoke about it and the, um, really the, the contempt that she showed for the way that our church went about worship that really, it, it was hard for me not to take that personally as I heard it, because the implication she was making was that if I worshipped God properly, then, then I wouldn't be satisfied with that church. I wouldn't be satisfied with what worship looked like there. So don't let spiritual people disqualify you, because Christ is the head, and Christ is the one who has qualified us. And finally, Paul says, don't let worldly people enslave you, because... You died with Christ. Uh, verse 20, Paul says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. We heard last week that when Paul talks about elemental spiritual forces, he, he's talking about the principles of this world. So he's talking about the, the philosophies that make up human religion. Uh, we saw just earlier in this passage that um, Jewish religion was having a, a bit of a negative influence in the church at that time. And so too were the, the pagan religions of that day and, and the rules that these pagan religions had. Um, often these religions involved uh, self-harm or abstaining from things like food or marriage, uh, doing things like that to try to earn the favor of the gods, to, tr to try to kind of get yourself in the good books of those gods. 
And, and Paul says there, there are three problems with this. Uh, the first problem is that these rules are man-made. They're not from God. He says the, these rules, uh, which have to do with things that are destined to perish, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Uh, this wasn't a new problem for God's people. So back in the Old Testament, centuries earlier, uh, God's people had fallen into a similar trap. They, they were thinking that they were obeying God when they were just obeying man-made rules. We, we read about that in Isaiah. Uh, the Lord says, These people, they come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. What this means is we need to be careful not to, not to import human rules into, into our walk with God. Um, so, for example, something like avoiding alcohol might be a really wise thing to do, to do as an individual. It might be the, the appropriate thing to do in your circumstances. Uh, but there's a danger in um, being careful just, just not to communicate this as something that God has commanded for everyone to do. We need to, we need to make sure we're being careful on what we're taking from God. Um, so second problem, these rules, they offer no spiritual benefit. Uh, verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Uh, so what Paul is saying here is that rules may seem really right. Uh, they may produce people who look really good on the outside, who, who say and, and do all the right things that people would think they're meant to do. But they don't bring real change from the inside. They don't change our sinful nature. Um, it's a bit like if I'm driving along and I see a road sign that says it's 60 kilometres an hour. That's, that's going to convince me to drive no faster than probably about 63 kilometres an hour just because I don't want to get fined. I don't want to get fined. But it's not going to produce within me a burning desire and passion for road safety, is it? It's, it's just not going to have that impact. This is why diets and, and other self-help efforts so often fail. It's because they focus on the outside change, but they, they don't change us on the inside. And that's the, that can be the problem with religion, that it, it so often focuses on rules. And part of the reason for that is that rules give us a sense of security. Um, they tell us um, what we need to do, what boxes we need to tick. Um, a religion that's based on rules is something that, theoretically, I can achieve. I can contribute. Uh, following religious rules, it, it's kind of like going over to someone's house for dinner and bringing a, a salad and bringing drinks and bringing dessert with you. You feel like I'm contributing, I'm pulling my weight, I'm doing what's needed from me here. Um, which brings us to, to problem number three, which is that rules don't save us. Only Jesus can. You died with Christ, Paul tells the Colossians. Um, so by trusting in Jesus, you have died to the thought that you can come to God by obeying rules. If, if we could save ourselves by living good lives and obeying rules, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to die for us. It wouldn't have been necessary. 
Uh, Paul is asking them, how can you believe in Jesus uh, but live as though you need human religious rules to be saved? If Jesus died to save us, then, then what it means is that we are, we are rocking up to that dinner party and we're not bringing salad, we're not bringing drinks, we're not bringing dessert, we're not even bringing the, the parsley that, that goes on top of the salad. Um, we contribute nothing. We rely entirely on God's grace. Um, Alicia, my wife and I had lunch with uh, Corinne and Neptune and their family a few, few months back and as we were, we were going there to to um, knock on the door, I was holding, a, holding Rory in one hand, I was holding a salad in the other hand, and I was sort of trying to ring the doorbell at the same time, it was a classic sort of Father's Day picture, and managed to drop the salad, as I was, I mean, good thing I dropped the salad, not Rory, I suppose, but dropped the salad, and of course had it in a glass salad bowl, so I just heard the salad smash, so um, rocked up to the party with nothing in our hands, but a, a pumpkin, spinach, and glass shards, salad, which we thought was probably best not to serve up. So kind of in, in, a, in half a second, I went from rocking up to that lunch, here's my salad, I'm contributing, to I'm just here empty-handed. And that's what it means to follow Jesus, to, to rely on t- entirely on God's grace, to know that we, we bring nothing in our hands. Uh, and if you're here this morning just, just checking church out, just checking out what, what, who Jesus is and what it's all about, this is the difference between Trusting in rules and religion versus trusting in Jesus. Trusting in in rules and religion means that it's up to me to be good enough, which means that it's going to drive me either to to pride when I'm going well or to despair when I'm not going well, Uh, neither of which is is good. Trusting in Jesus uh, means knowing that on the cross, Jesus did what I couldn't. And the only appropriate response to that is humble joy. And Paul wants us to be clear on this, particularly because next week, when we get to chapter 3 in Colossians, we're going to see that there are expectations of what the Christian life looks like. We're going to be told to put off parts of our sinful nature, like anger or, or greed or lust. And we're going to be told to clothe ourselves instead with love and humility and patience. And it would, it would be easy to, to take instructions like that and, and turn them into slavish religious obedience and, and think, okay, I have to be less angry. I have to be more loving. It, it's, it's all up to me to get this right. The question is, what is my motivation to live this way? Am I motivated because I want to gain something? Or because I've already gained what truly matters? Am I trying to to do better so that people don't judge me and so that God thinks I'm acceptable? Is it a a good reputation and a secure identity that I'm trying to earn by my obedience? Or is my obedience flowing out of a, a secure identity that I already have, one that Jesus has earned for me at the cross? Is my trust in rules and religion? Or is my trust in Jesus? Only one of those paths is ultimately going to produce true, joyful, and lasting change. And I suspect that 
the path that we take is going to depend a lot on what sort of father we think God is, which is quite appropriate given today. Um, I, I don't know everyone's family background here. I, I don't know whether your dad was one whose love you felt like you had to earn. Like you, maybe you felt like in your dad's eyes you were, you were only ever as good as your, your most recent test score or your, your most recent sporting performance. Or maybe, maybe you, you have or you, or you had a dad who, who you knew loved you no matter what. didn't matter how you did on the sporting field. didn't matter how you did in the maths test. You knew that dad loved you unconditionally. I um, just want to be really clear that God is not a father who makes us earn his love. And he proved that for us at the cross. As we see Jesus on the cross dying for our sins, we know beyond measure that we have a, a good and loving father and, and one who, who doesn't make us earn our way up to him, but one who has come down and made himself available for us. So for all the fathers here this morning, rules and, and discipline have great value. Don't, don't hear me saying otherwise. But on their own, they're not going to form good character in our children. In fact, if we're relying on rules and we're relying on religion, we're going to cripple our children with expectations. The best Father's Day gift that you can give to your kids is Jesus. Soaking them in the good news that Jesus alone is enough. And that's Paul's message for, for all of us, fathers or not, that Jesus is enough. And so we, we have freedom from any religious rules and any religious expectations that try to add to Jesus, that try to deny that Jesus is enough. We don't need to be judged, we don't need to be disqualified, and we don't need to be enslaved by anyone trying to add to who we are in Jesus, because he's enough. Let me pray for us. Loving and gracious God, we praise you for your fatherly love in providing for us a perfect and sufficient saviour in Jesus. Thank you that he is enough. And we pray that you'd help each of us to live each day knowing that we have all we need in him and that we can add nothing to his finished work on the cross for us. Amen.